Our middle schoolers are going to be helpers in Jeff's class today. Grateful uh, for that. I'm going to be reading this morning from uh, James, the fifth chapter, uh, verse 13 through 16. I don't know why I left this slide. We're done talking about Joseph. I ain't going to talk about him no more. Today we're going to talk about James and a few words he has to say, starting in, in verse 13. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. If any of you are happy, let him sing songs of praise. If any one of you is sick, he should call on the elders of the church to pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he will be forgiven. And therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Let's pray. Father God, I am uh, grateful for your word, and I'm grateful for this body of believers. I pray, Father, that your spirit will move among us this morning, that your word will touch our hearts and guide our, uh, guide our minds, and that, Lord, you will uh, just direct our paths. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Don uh, Bridges, you don't know this yet, but uh, can you take a moment to just flip over to the camera side there and make sure that uh, the folks at home can see? Can they still see this? Oh, never mind. So, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, I didn't have... Um, I didn't have an iPhone or I, you know, I didn't have like an iPod or anything fun like that. And so like when I was a kid, anything could be fun, right? Anything. And I found a fun game one day after dinner with a spoon. It was called, how many times can I flip the spoon and still land upright? All right. So we're going to try it this morning. I'll do it this way so these folks can see. See how many flips I can get, okay? It's been a while since I've practiced. All right, you ready? You're supposed to clap. I, I got like three flips that time, all right? I'll do it for you guys now. You ready? See how many flips I can get. I got three that last time, and we'll go. That counted because it's still upright. Thank you very much. Oh, I got booze. I'll never forget that day, and I'm going to tell you why. My dad, right as my hand landed on the tip of the spoon, said, son, stop doing that. And that spoon flipped up and nailed him right in the forehead. He grabbed my arm as quick 
as my hand went down and didn't say anything, just grabbed my arm. He didn't say anything for, I don't know, seven years, right? I mean, even the flip was in slow motion. And all he said was, go to your room. That's it. I didn't have a very large room, and it wasn't very good for hiding, but man, I wanted to hide. I've never wanted to be hidden more in all of my life. I wanted to hide under the bed, but I knew he'd look there first. I wanted to hide in the closet, but the closet wasn't like a walk-in closet, so it's not like there's a whole lot of place to hide there. I just knew that I wanted to hide. And if we are quite honest with ourselves, isn't that what sin does to us? Sin causes us to want to hide, to be invisible. And if you think about it, just think about it with me. That was the first reaction to the couple of the first sins in the Bible. Adam and Eve were tempted to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They ate that fruit, immediately realized what? They were naked, and they immediately wanted to hide. They took some leaves, they took some branches, and they covered themselves up. But listen to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God. They hid among the trees of the garden. That's almost as silly as me hiding under my bed. But the Lord called to the man. He said, where are you? And the man answered these famous words, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. Adam and Eve wanted to hide immediately from God. Then if you flip over to Genesis chapter 4, you'll hear another story. Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, killed his brother Abel. He murdered his own brother. And listen to Genesis 4.9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Can I pause there and say, in both cases, God knew exactly where Adam was, and he knew exactly where Abel was. But he replied with this hide. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain knew exactly where his brother was. He knew exactly where he buried him. And yet he hid from God. So when I read these words in James chapter 5, I'm uncomfortable. Confess your sins to each other? No thanks, I'd rather hide. But James has got some wisdom here, and I want to talk about that wisdom with you this morning. I believe that confession improves 
relationships. You could write that down in your notes if you'd like. You found it. Sorry, I put the wrong one in there, didn't I? Confession improves relationships. I mean, for starters, you are confessing that you are not a spiritual giant. You are confessing that you have vulnerability to sin. And Paul says in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I know that mentally, but then I look around and see you guys and think, there's no way you all struggle like I do. But here's the truth, Christians. You are not the only one here who struggles with anger. You are not the only one here that struggles with gossip. You are not the only one here who struggles with pride. You are not the only one here who struggles with sexual sin. Confession allows us to stay humble and it encourages others to remove the facade of perfection. Remove the facade of perfection. We are not perfect people, and it's okay that you're not perfect. My home church has a slogan. It's okay to not be okay. Amen? This can be a place where it's okay to not be okay. And if we all drop the facade that improves intimacy among each other. Confession also improves prayer. Now, of course, it improves our direct relationship with God, right? Adam and Eve and Cain both missed out on honesty with God, right? but it also improves our prayer for each other. I mean, just open up your bulletins, right? And all you'll see is sick person after sick person, right? And if all we're doing is praying for sick people, all we are are a hospital. But unless someone confesses sin to you, how do you know how to pray for your church, unless someone confesses struggles with you. How are you going to pray for your church? I mean, I'm not going to list out in a prayer list the folks who are struggling in sin. I mean, that'd be embarrassing, right? But my point is by confessing sins and struggles with one another, there's strength in prayer. And if you look at this text, within the context of the text, is prayer. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're happy, sing songs of prayer. If you're sick, pray. If you confess your sins with one another, pray. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Whether you're praying for someone who is sick, happy, or just fallen into sin, there is power, listen to this, there is power to overcome sin, especially when others are praying for you. The power is found in Jesus Christ, and there's added power. It says here, 
The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. There is added value and power when we're praying for one another, when we're praying for healing and success. And finally, confession improves our intimacy with God. And this is incredibly important for this relationship. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Amen? And if we're going to do that, we've got to be honest with God and with each other. And there is a direct connection between this and this. John Piper writes, Now the principle there between physical well-being and locked up sin that nobody knows and you're trying to hide from the Lord and you're trying to keep from others, it's clear. The principle is the dishonesty and hiddenness and privateness about our sins brings both spiritual misery and physical misery. And God would spare us that. And so he teaches us to confess our sins to God and to one another. Now our text today says that God will forgive. There is a promise here that he will forgive and bring healing. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed him. And if you remember the story of Cain, you'll remember that God gave him a mark so that others won't kill him for his sin. So when we confess our sins to God, there is mercy and healing found in God. Adam and Eve and Cain were hiding from God who could give them dignity. Hiding from a God who could give them grace. And that is truly what they needed. They needed dignity and grace. And God gave it to them. Mercy. It seemed like hours as I sat in my room. I think there were a few red marks from where my dad was squeezing my arm, right? It wasn't hours. It wasn't very long at all. And my dad came in. He didn't beat me. He didn't kick me out of the house. He forgave me. And we actually talked through what was happening. He showed me mercy and grace. You see, you are safe to confess your sins to our Heavenly Father. It is safe. God wants to bring you healing and grace, and He will do it. He will do it. All you have to do is confess. And that starts that process of true repentance, true forgiveness, true grace. But is it safe to confess our sins to one another? Today, I'm going to switch things up a little and give my pulpit up to a sister who has a testimony 
about how it is safe to confess your sins to one another. I'll let her tell you that story. Come on up, Jobelin. Hello. My name's Jovelyn, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm married to Don. He's back there in the AV, daughter-in-law of Carl, my kids, Branson and Jelly. And um, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about myself and about my story. So I was born in Hawaii, and I was born of Filipino immigrants who um, raised me in California, and they came here to the States wanting to live the American dream. And um, they brought me up as best as they knew how. They raised me. Um, as a Catholic, and I was baptized as a baby in Hawaii, and I went to CCD and to church on Wednesdays with the church. And by the time I was 16 years old, it looked like um, my parents had achieved the American dream. We were living in a home. I was safe. I was going to school, and everything appeared successful, but what was really happening when I was 16 years old was chaos in my home. Um, around the, the age of 16, my parents um, separated and my mom got a job two and a half hours away from home. And I didn't really understand exactly what was going on, but she had um, separated herself from our family, and um, she would come on the weekends and check in with me and, and stuff like that, but it was just not stable in the home, and I felt it, and I knew it, and um, I took advantage of it because my mom was at home and my dad didn't know what was going on. I went out of control. I drove without a license. Um, I would sneak out with friends skip school and I would also seek love through my friends and through boyfriends that were not healthy for me. Um, I ended up with a guy that was uh, abusive physically and emotionally and when I was 16 I found myself pregnant. So here I was scared, didn't know who to turn to um, but I had the courage to um, tell my mom about it. And so on one of the weekends when she came home from work, I had the courage to tell her that I was pregnant. And from my mom's perspective, her and my father had worked so hard to make a great life for me here. So the best thing she knew to tell me was that I couldn't have my baby, that... Um, that if I decided to keep my child, that I needed to move out of the house. So I went to another couple that kind of, they were a good role model for me and they were supportive of me throughout my parents' divorce and they were leaders for me. And they actually took the time to sit down with me and explain to me what was going on inside me and the baby that was being developed in my womb. But I didn't have a choice because 
my mother had already scheduled my abortion with the same doctor that delivered my, my little sister. And um, even though I knew what I was doing, I felt like I didn't have a choice but to have that abortion. One of the toughest things about this story is how alone I felt. Um, she had set the appointment for me, but I didn't have anyone to go with me. Um, the guy that had gotten me pregnant just told me that I could do what I decided that I wanted to do, and he didn't accompany me. Um, my mom was out of town at work, and so she didn't accompany me, and my dad and my grandmother, who was at home, didn't know about it. All I had was a good, close friend that took me to my appointment. And I just remember how different it was um, being at the doctor's office for this appointment because all the lights were off. There was nobody in the waiting room. And um, there was just a nurse there. And they took me to the back. And they explained to me that this was going to be a two-day process. And I just was like, okay. And um, he explained to me that I would go home and I would cramp, but I would have to return the next day again. So I had to come to terms with the fact that not only did I know what I was doing, um, but of course I would be feeling the pain of what was actually going on and knowing what was going on. So I did, I returned um, day two with my same friend. And um, I just remember feeling alone, numb, empty, hurt, and heartbroken for um, what I had done. And the enemy stole a lot from me that day. I was just 16 years old, but God had a plan for me. And the, the decision to take the life of my baby opened the door for the enemy to plant guilt and shame in my heart. He made me think that I deserved self-punishment for the sin that I did. Um, I felt like I couldn't be the mother that God created me to be, because every time I looked at my children, I thought about the, the child that I had and the children that I had. So Satan the enemy planted anxiety in my heart that day. I had this desperate need for control. I didn't feel like I had control at that time. So I suffered um, with that problem for years into 20 years of my marriage where, where it finally came to a head. And I had to fight for my marriage to survive because of the lies that I was believing that, that the enemy had put in my heart. He had put fear in me, fear of judgment, fear of punishment that I was going to forever worry about my kids and that he would somehow punish me for the things that I had done. So the way that I would satisfy my needs before I found Christ was through numbing, addictions, um, I sought out love from my friends um, and wanted to have this deep want to please others. 
um, I became an, an expert of, at avoiding and denial. And I realized that all I was searching for was love, acceptance, being cherished, and to surround myself with people so I wouldn't feel so alone. But becoming a Christian was the beginning of how God saved me. And he's taken me through a healing journey that is perfect in its own way. And it started about 15 years ago, right after Jelly was born. I sought out to seek out healing through a Bible study that I did with my friend. And I was completely sure that I was healed until about a year ago when God put it on my heart that I could be helpful to other women. So God led me to realize much later that I needed complete healing. And through this journey of seeking out support, I actually found some great resources in the community and God led me to the Pregnancy Resource Center who's here today and I hope you guys have a chance to stop by and visit with them. They helped me through the, the process of, of healing and I just remember a nurse telling me when I was there that I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone that day like I felt. And I just, I could not comprehend the power and the deep love of God until he sent me up on a mountain on a retreat with Deeper Still to see just the deep love and forgiveness and mercy he has for me and the vision that God has for me. And I look out here and I see so many people that I know that have supported me from the beginning of this journey. And I'm just, I'm so thankful that, that God has given me that support. And I keep feeling that that's what he's telling me. He's telling me support, 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 help others. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping to do here. And I'm just, I'm thankful for what God has showed me through the retreat. Um, I have been able to get closer to God and he's revealed things to me that, that I have blocked out of my mind and have forgotten beautiful things about my children that he has revealed to me and even um, hearing him and his, his words of adoration for me um, on that mountain. He gave me the word sweet love. That's, that's how my God sees me, is sweet love and love and light. And I finally can comprehend Father's God's love and grace because I realized that what I needed to be was I needed to be desperate for him. I didn't need to settle for the life, the incomplete life, the incomplete wholeness that that I was living. So I am just always hoping to be inspired by scripture. And one of the scripture 
Um, the scriptures that keep coming up that has inspired me or has helped me feel not alone is Psalm 41 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And he put a new, a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And that, that's a big thing. I, I found trust in my God, trust that he, he loves me, trust that I'm cherished by him, and trust that he will continue to forgive me. So that abortion wasn't the first abortion. I had I actually had a second one when I was in the army, and, and that's how Don is connected. He was there. He supported me and knew me when I had my second abortion. And I feel like God is wanting me to share with you that the abortion wounded doesn't just affect women. It affects men, too. And I hope that I can help provide a safe space here at the church for people who have suffered from abortion-wounded hearts to feel like they have a place to be vulnerable with one another and to lean on one another and to ultimately find the complete healing that, that we, de we deserve, that God has wanted for us and wants for us. So I feel like God's purpose for me I've, has become clear to me as I've been going through this journey He's definitely given me a heart for the, for the, abortion, the abortion wounded. And um, he's luckily um, given me lots of support. Um, his purpose is for me to speak truth. He wants me to, to talk about how life is important. Um, we live in a culture of death and hate. And I think it begins there. The pain begins with... Um, with not rejoicing in life. And that's one of the things that, that I want to bring, bring up and make important in everybody's hearts, I hope, that someday everybody will have the courage to do that. Because in scripture, um, God has shared with me Jeremiah 1.5 to help me heal. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So not only does that give me hope for the children that, um, that I aborted, but it also makes me see my worth in God. You know, it's, it wasn't just the babies, and it's also me, and it's all of you. Like, God wants us. God wants us to heal. And his forgiveness, what it means to me is that it validates my worth. Um, it, he has given me the strength to speak to you vulnerably um, and to share with you what I had done. And I'm hoping that there are others here that can have the courage to come forward and say, you know, I have done this. I know that something's missing in my life. And I know that I need more healing. And that's what I'm hoping 
we can do here at Cornerstone. And I'm just very thankful. I'm just very thankful for everybody here. And I pray that healing will come. And there is a need. There is a need for healing because 70% of the women who have had abortions have said that they are Christian. And we know that there's all those women and men who need a place to go and a place for support. So I'm hoping that next month, the middle of September, we can start a support group here at Cornerstone. And I'd like to invite you to join me if you have a heart for this. And I would like to also invite you to look in your hearts and see if, if healing is a place you need to be desperate for right now. So I just pray that you can join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for loving us so much. Dear Heavenly Father, you know where our hurt is. You know how deep the wounds we have are. And even though, Lord Heavenly Father, when we don't know what that is, I just pray that you help us identify that. I, I pray that you help give us the strength to be desperate for you, to seek you for healing. Dear Heavenly Father, you are everything to us. And I pray that you bless us and we love you and honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Richard, will you put uh, Genesis 3.21 back up there, please? As we uh, enter into our time of communion, I felt it was important to uh, remind us that confession uh, to God brought dignity, it brought healing. But look what happened. The animal had to die. We gather around communion because Jesus had to die. And ultimately, our true life starts when Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's where we receive our new life. So I'm going to ask you to uh, bow your heads right now as you think through your personal sin. Take some time to confess before God and prepare our hearts for communion. Let's pray.